On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, say it with me, guys, come on. The doors being locked were where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. All right. You may be, may be seated. Um, so... It's really exciting to be able to uh, jump into this section of John. You know, we just went through, uh, we observed, you know, Good Friday and then Resurrection Sunday and uh, even Palm Sunday before that. We've been kind of going through all of what, what happened back then through um, the eyes of John. And um, one of the things that, that you'll see is... is Every week that we're going to go through this, um, the next four weeks, I believe, we're going to be going through the witness accounts. And um, what's cool about the witness accounts is that um, seemingly they, they, they are, they're, they're similar. You know, there's a lot of the same wording that Jesus even says in some of these. But the difference is, is that there is these little um, implications that changes. Um, and so um, Jesus can come to you and say, I'm, I'm back, okay? Um, and, and that meant something to that person specifically. Um, we're going to see next week when he comes to Thomas and specifically almost says very similar words that he said in this account. But to Thomas, this is a very different thing because he was doubting and questioning. And uh, what I like to even say was very honest about his disbelief, okay? And so I'm, I'm just kind of setting up the whole series for a second is I think it's gonna be really cool to see how it changes uh, the, the people, um, the, what changes when they, the people that are receiving it, okay? I don't know if I said that the right way, but um, every person and every group gets to experience Jesus in a different way, even though Jesus is the same, and he even said a lot of the same words. And so let's let's look at uh, the scripture. I'm going to be camping out in New Living Translation uh, mostly, so if you have your phones, you can switch that over. This is the ESV, and that's because I forgot to tell them that we're going through the NLT. But anyway, it really doesn't change that much. Um, so this first verse, it says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Here's the deal. What I what I realized in when I was reading this this uh, small you know bit of scripture is that there were seven gifts that Jesus gave them. Okay, seven different gifts, and we're going to go through every single one of them. So this first one, it says they were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid. What does this show us? This shows that they're is a need for Jesus. There was a, there was a fear without him. The, the thing is, is the Jewish uh, leaders were trying to get Jesus and his disciples the whole time. 
especially towards the end. This wasn't a new thing, but they finally achieved to get the leader. And so now they're afraid, they, they're scared. Um, I wrote it down, uh, the political environment was hostile, okay? Um, Christianity was being attacked. I mean, Christianity didn't even exist yet, technically. Christianity was Christ. Not only was it attacked, but it was destroyed. It wasn't just attacked. Now, of course, we know the truth. Jesus is alive. Christianity had just begun. But it was being attacked. It was destroyed. A lot of questions on whether the effects of Jesus was a good thing or a bad thing. Even these disciples were in the same mode. Um, to say the disciples were doubting or questioning would be an understatement. You could imagine that little meeting after Jesus died and they kind of don't really believe 100% that Jesus is coming back, you know? We do because we have so much proof and so much understanding from 2,000 years later. But just imagine if one of your really greatest friends that, you, that has made a huge impact on you, and he says, not only am I gonna die, but I'm going to come back to life, and then they die. The only thing you understood was death. The only thing you understand, you don't understand life after death. You don't understand the resurrection. And so they literally had no clue. Um, I mean, they, they they had a little clue because Jesus told them, but they were not fully believing it, okay? So what the first gift I believe that Jesus gave them that day before he showed up is the need for Christ. These people were too afraid. They were unable. They could not live without him. They were hopeless. They were hopeless. Their hope was dead. Okay, that little piece where it says, suddenly Jesus was standing there among him. I mean, just imagine this concept, suddenly. This witness account was supernatural. Not only was it supernatural this time, but many of the other ones are, but this one was very specifically supernatural. How do we know that? It's because it said the doors were locked. Jesus could not have come in. These doors were not just locked, they had probably 10 locks. I'm not really sure how it worked back then, but they didn't want uh, military people to come in and, and break down the door, okay? They didn't just put, um, you know, a little, one of these little locks on there. They, were, they made sure this thing was, you know, who knows, they might have had chairs up against the, you know, the, the door, doorknobs or whatever. It doesn't work like that. But anyway, you guys get what I'm saying, is like they did not want anybody in there, and then Jesus, poof. There wasn't, we don't understand, we don't even know how to fathom how this happened, but Jesus was supernatural. And I think this is very important. I also think not only was it supernatural, but it was shocking and it was seemingly discreet. It was even discreet because Jesus knew that this, if he were to show up in the public eye, in, and a lot of people, they wonder, um, if Jesus came back to life, a lot of people that are doubters on whether Jesus did, you know, people that are not believers, okay? What they actually question a lot of the time, and there's a lot of different, uh, you know, maybe forms of how they question this, but they wonder why Jesus didn't make it more obvious. They wonder why he didn't show up in the middle of the temple or in the middle of the whatever. I mean, the temple had been, you know, destroyed at that point or whatever, but you guys get what I'm saying. Like, he, why didn't he show up in the public places? And I think 
I don't know if I fully can understand why he did this, but it does seem that he wanted to be discreet because he wanted the ones that mattered to know that Jesus existed, that Jesus was alive, because it was going to be their witness and their strength, what God empowering them, which later on in the scripture, he empowers them to actually be able to, uh, you know, let this thing spread out. Okay, um, it needed to be a actual personal encounter with Jesus, not just an encounter in a big group. Okay, there's a difference between 10 people hanging out around a table and all of a sudden they see Jesus and they and they're able to touch the scars and everything as opposed to having 50,000 people in the middle of a, of a public place where they're all kind of looking. Is that Jesus? Is it really Jesus? Not everybody's going to be able to touch. Not everybody's going to know. So it was important that it was discreet. Um, I, I read this commentary and it was a really cool way that he said it. The resurrected body had properties that reacted to this world differently than his original human body. There is a difference between his resurrected body and the body he had before. What, why does this matter? It's because it does give us a brief understanding, um, a glimpse of what life is going to be like even after life for us. Good. Is we're probably going to still have some scars. We're still going to have some evidence of what God needed to do in our life and things that needed to happen in our life. But we're still going to have this spiritual body to some degree. We're going to get into the second gift. I really love, though, this word, uh, this wording. It says, peace be with you. There's actually two times in this scripture where it says, peace be with you. And that actually means something. The first one is literally calm down. I am not a ghost. OK, later on, he had, they actually say, are you a ghost? Or, you know, basically talking about him being maybe being a ghost. He's like, calm down. I am not a ghost. That's the first peace be with you. That's a literal chill out, bro. That's what that is, okay? Um, the, next, the next part of the scripture is, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They showed it. And then they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. They weren't filled with joy. I find that very interesting. They weren't filled with joy when he was a poof in the room. He had to say, chill out, guys. Chill. And then they were filled with joy after they realized it was Jesus. This also gives us an understanding there was a good chance that he didn't quite look the same. I'm not really sure how, and nobody knows, um, but there was something spiritual about him. This is more of a theory, I'm gonna throw out this theory, this is just something I've mulled over over the years. But the way that Jesus was before with his human body, he, his body before was holding the sin of the world, okay? This is, again, a theory. A lot of people have this theory. I'm not the only one, but um, that the weight of the world is on his body, and so there's something about him that is more weighty. It's more, um, um, I wouldn't say more sinful, because it says that he, he was clothed with sin, um, or, or he became sin. So, so there is this thing where there was sin, even though he was sinless, he was holding our sin. And now the sin is gone. The sin was buried into the ground. And so there is this reality that Jesus was, 
lighter. There was something about him that was more um, joyful. Actually, if you see, we kind of read through this, but like before he goes to the cross, there is a, a um, I mean, he was, he was, you know, sweating blood. There was a thing about him. I don't know if you've ever, well, I know you have. You've spent time with somebody who's going through a stressful moment, okay? And I would say that um, when I go through a stressful moment, I'm not at my healthiest, okay? I, I would say a lot of things of my body are unhealthy. I would say I'll get, I mean, you literally can get stomach ulcers. You literally can, um, your, your body can feel pain. You, you don't sleep. Jesus wasn't sleeping. It was very clear. We may, there's multiple times where it seems like he's just not sleeping. And there was something about him. He was weary. He was all these different things. And then something happened when he, when he dies and he raises again. He doesn't have that anymore. There's something different. This gives us a glimpse. And this goes into, um, I believe, a really awesome part of uh, one of the gifts. Um, the second gift I wrote down, though, is the second area, is uh, assurance. What is the second thing that Jesus gave as it is he gave assurance? And what this assurance does, what does it do? It fills them with joy. To know that it actually is Jesus, that Jesus really did rise, raise from the dead, is assurance. So there was the first gift, which was the need. Um, there wasn't a need for those, those, those disciples before because they were with Jesus. They actually had the best scenario. They had literally the king of kings next to them, you know, at all times. When they were going into the crowds, some of them were still afraid, but most of the time they didn't have a reason to be afraid because they had the king of kings. They had God incarnate next to them. But now that need was, wow, we don't have God incarnate next to us anymore. Can we really go and do anything? Can we really like that season is over? It's kind of when you realize after you've done sports your, your whole life. For me, I'm a musician. I didn't do a lot of sports, but I did play soccer to a certain point. And then I got to a point where I was like, wow, I got to choose music over guitar or over, over uh, playing sports. Some of you guys might have even done sports going into college or whatever it is. But once college is over and you realize you're not going to be uh, Russell Wilson or whoever, I guess that's like bad for me to even say Russell Wilson anymore. Anyway. Um, you guys get what I'm saying? And you realize you're not gonna be that person and then all of a sudden you have to mourn the fact that you're done, yeah. you know? They were mourning the fact that that wonderful three years of season was done, right? Yeah. So that's what brought the need. Second one was assurance. Jesus showed up, showed his scars, and that assurance gave them joy. Um, I wrote this down. He, Jesus's witness account, um, was also natural. It wasn't just supernatural, but it was natural. There was something natural about him, scars and wounds still intact. The third gift is joy. I love this. It says they were filled with joy. Jesus encounters, and this applies to you guys too. Jesus encounters follow the filling of joy, okay? I think, by the way, these seven gifts are actually a way to look at how we are actually interacting with God as well. There is a time where we experience need, okay? Then there is a time 
where Jesus shows up in our life somehow, whether or not that was at youth camp in high school or whether it was uh, later on in life when you were shared the gospel and it clicked, something clicked at that moment. Jesus showed up, okay? There was something um, about that that was assurance for you. And then what happens? Normally you're not filled with sorrow after that. You're, on, you're normally filled with joy. I am joyful because... Jesus has just showed himself that he is the filler of that need. Amen? That's awesome. Third gift is joy. Let's look at the next scripture. Again, he said, peace be with you. I love how he's saying peace be with you a second time. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Again, he said, peace be with you. Why is there a second peace be with you? This is actually more than just calm down, chill out. Okay, this is now saying again, I'm saying. I am with you. Let that sink in. That's what he's saying. Let that sink in that I have not gone anywhere. Peace be with you. And we get to hear, we get to see this really cool. Um, I love I love uh, there's actually a few times in, in the scriptures where he says this. But peace beyond understanding is one way that we um, read. And I, I didn't write down the actual place where that is. But anyway, um, peace beyond understanding is super important beyond understanding. I love that. Because that is the kind of peace he's giving you today. That's the kind of peace he gives to these guys. Is peace that is beyond what they can fathom. And I actually like to look at this as before he was saying calm down. Now he's saying I'm going to give you an actual spiritual peace. I'm going to give you something more than just a natural peace. But now here's a spiritual peace. And this matters. This is the fourth gift, right? It's peace. But the fifth gift, which is why peace matters, is mission. He gives a mission. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. That's the fifth gift he's giving them. He's saying, hey, here's peace. I'm with you. Don't worry. And now go. That's what he's saying. I like looking at these two different things because we kind of talked about it as we, you know, um, earlier, I believe in John 17, we talked about this a little bit. But it says, as the Father sent me, Jesus was sent on a mission to earth as a human, humbled and weak. Father sent him to do this, humble and weak. Jesus was not strong. He was not overly strong. Um, Something... You know, this is just something to mention. I just had to um, go to a funeral last week, and this funeral was um, really tough. It was a 22-year-old boy, um, one of Noah's uh, friends, not a super close friend, but a friend that he knew from youth group, and uh, he was a bodybuilder. He was a bodybuilder, um, incredibly buff and cut and all the things. And he ended up dying because of the way that he was trying to um, cut at the very last minute. Um, Lack of water, lack of food, and some other things that that was kind of in his body. Toxins just couldn't leave his body. Now, the reason why I mention this is because it doesn't matter how uh, 
strong you are in this world. Doesn't matter how um, like fit and how much health you take care of, you know, how much you take care of yourself health-wise and, 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 and all that. And I would even say that this applies to your emotional health, your mental health. Doesn't matter how much you put into that. I think you should, by the way. You should take care of your body. You should take care of your mind. Take care of your emotions. This needs to happen. But if your spiritual health is not good, if you are not realizing that you don't have the peace of God beyond understanding, your strength means nothing. And so Jesus was not strong because of his human body. He was strong because he was God. He had spiritual health. Jesus had spiritual health. I like to look at this, another commentary that I read. They said, he said that Jesus didn't come as a world conqueror, like, like Genghis Khan. Like Jesus came to conquer with humble, with, with uh, humility, yeah. with weakness, on purpose. And, you know, this is not at all to be political in any way, but we just, unfortunately, I think it was yesterday, our 22nd um, mass shooting of America right now. Um, there is something about, there's something about, um, I don't know why, but there's something about the Christians connecting ourselves. We did this with, uh, with um, you know, the Crusades and all these different past things where I'm not saying that the shooting was Christian. They were, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that. But what I'm trying to point out is that we live in a world where it actually feels strong to be somebody with a gun or strong to be somebody with the power to take something over. But Jesus came to do the opposite. He, take, he came to prove that to really conquer this world, it's through love. Good. Right? That was the mission. That was the gift. That was the gift. As the Father sent me, I'm going to continue this. Jesus was sent on mission to earth as a human, humbled and weak, not as a world conqueror, but to become the glorified and strong, but by God, spiritually. He became the most glorified. We are glorified. He is right now the most glorified um, being on earth, more people worship yeah. Jesus than anybody else on earth. Um, there are different versions and sex versions of it to like add that. But the point is, is that Jesus is very glorified. He he's powerful, but he's not powerful because of his his ability to conquer the ability to do those things. He would change the course. And then another thing is he would change the course of what salvation was before salvation was based off of what you did and what you could accomplish. Now it's not right. Mm -hmm. So if that's what God sent, the father sent Jesus to do, he is now saying, so I am sending you. So let's look at that. Let's flip it around and look at us. We are sent from Jesus on earth, humbled and weak. We also are supposed to be humble and weak. I, I would say that humility and um, healthy weakness, brokenness, is what actually will allow you to experience more of God than you ever have. It's good. When you think you can do it on your own, um, God lets you try. 
You can't let it, you don't want that to happen, right? So we are sent from Jesus on earth, humbled and weak. We are not to conquer with force to be glorified. We're going to be glorified just like as he was glorified. We went through that with 17, uh, John 17. It's weird to say that we're glorified, but we're glorified through the Father, through the Son. We are all glorified together because we are one. It's a really crazy idea, but it is, it is what the Bible says. So to be glorified and to become strong in him. We are the messengers, and I like this because I said he would change the course of salvation. We are the messengers and the changed course of salvation. What we are doing right now as a mission, again, gift, fifth gift is a mission, is we are actually God's answer to changing the course of salvation. Mm. I don't save you, you don't save me, Jesus saves us, but we are the ones that now deliver it. It's no longer a law that delivers it and you follow it, but it's now people that are sixth gift empowered by the Holy Spirit. It says there uh, at the end of 22, it says, um, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, I really like this. Then he breathed on them. Think about this. He is using the language. It was lifted from the Genesis creation account language. Okay? And it was, this is where we've seen new life in the disciples. See, Jesus, what, Jesus was back in creation too, and he was God. He breathed, and creation began. That's what happened. And what happened? Creation screwed it all up, messed it all up. We get to a point where Jesus shows up, shows how to love, shows how to be humble, how to be healthily weak, and, um, and of course, healthily strong as well in reverse, you know. And then he dies for our sins and he rises again. And then this is what he says. Is, he says, I'm going to now breathe in you the same way that I breathed in you before. Yeah. But instead, now you are new, you have a new life now. Yeah, and so um, what's interesting is a lot of people, they kind of wonder, oh, like these disciples, they were walking with Jesus. They were hanging out with Jesus. They were the first Christians. Yes, but they actually weren't really the first Christians until this moment, technically, if we were to think about it. Why does that matter? I know I lived and went to church my whole life, and uh, I kind of stepped away from the Lord, you know, for about four or five years, but I still went to church. When I say I stepped away from the Lord, um, I still went to church with my wife. I still went. I still even led worship sometimes. This is brutal for me to admit, but I was playing music when I didn't really want to believe in God, okay? And uh, that's because I was really good at faking, okay? A really good liar, honestly. And what's crazy is that I would even say that there were moments where I was really following God in one way. I was following Jesus. But it wasn't until I was 22 when I really experienced something that I would consider my new life. Jesus really breathed in me in tw at 22 years old. We all have a journey. We're all going through things. 
But there might be some of you here today, and I know for a fact that there are some in your MC or people that you were inviting to come to your MC that they probably at one point did follow God. There was some kind of experience where they are, they are in tandem with Jesus, but I wanna tell you that when you're in tandem with Jesus without the new life that Jesus has wants to give you, without this reality, this realization of the need first, you are going to um, just be like the disciples before this moment. You're going to come to a point where you're doubting and questioning when you don't see Jesus anymore. I want to tell you that I have gone through a lot of junk in my life. We really have. We've, had, we've done a lot of moving around and not everything works out great. Okay? Sometimes, sometimes it does. Sometimes I'm kind of like, God, you're making this really easy for me to follow you right now. And I would sign up for that right now any day. An easy way to follow the Lord. But there are moments where when I'm following Jesus, it's not easy. And if I were like the disciples before a new life was brought into my life, I would be going, yeah, this is over. My time with God is over. I can't do this and I'm no longer going to do it. But the reality is, is that I do have a new life. I have the Holy Spirit in my heart and Holy Spirit does something to me in those moments. I still have those moments. I'm not saying you don't have those moments. But when I'm in those moments, the Holy Spirit says, no, I'm here. Assurance, I'm here, never left you. Mm -hmm. I like looking at these gifts again. Yes, you have a need. I, I, I'm giving you assurance that I am here. I'm not going anywhere. I am going to fill you with joy again. How many of you guys have been filled with joy kind of for no reason? Man, I'm so thankful for those moments. I've had at least a handful of times since I moved here where that has happened. In very weird moments, very strange places, where I just want to give up, and then joy comes on me. And I'm like, God, I don't... It's, I almost get frustrated sometimes when that joy happens. Because I'm like, that means I have to keep on going. But that's kind of part of the deal. It says joy does that. And then it gives me a peace. It gives me a peace. That's fourth gift. Fifth gift is mission. He reminds me of my mission. And then the sixth gift is Holy Spirit, which is, you know, kind of always happening in my life. But I'll tell you what, one thing, there is another time where those same guys get received the Holy Spirit again. So there is a reality that you need to keep on asking the Holy Spirit to, to refill you, to really um, bring that life back into you. It doesn't mean that you lose your new life, but it does mean that you are growing tired and that you are growing weary and you need more. It's good. Uh, we're going to get into that seventh gift. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, face value, this is a really strange scripture. I'll just be really honest, okay? It's a strange scripture. It's one of those that I've wrestled with for, uh, for years, and I've done a lot, of, a lot of research and a lot of studying. This is where the Catholics would get wrong, okay? I don't... I don't want to just throw out Catholics being bad or whatever, but this is where typically they'll get wrong. There is you, you show up to a place, you confess, and then that priest will say, I forgive you, my child. Okay, that's honestly that more happens in, in TV than it does in real life. I think that there's aspects of more modern Catholicism that they've actually not been 
like this. But I've been in, in third world countries where Catholic uh, Catholicism is the main thing. I've lived in Italy and Catholicism, when it's at its unhealthiest, the only person who can read the scripture, the only person who can uh, forgive you is through Jesus, but through a priest, through somebody, right? We as Christians, as um, evangelicals or, or, or Protestants or however we want to look at ourselves, we uh, do not believe that. I cannot come over to you and say, I forgive you. I can forgive you if you did something wrong to me, but I can't forgive you of your sins personally. I cannot do that, right? So why does it say if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven? I mean, he's saying this to the disciples. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's actually more uh, a bigger implication than the first one because we're giving people, uh, we're like the, the bearer of good news in the first one, but we're bearer of bad news in the second one. But here, here's the deal. This is what I believe the seventh gift is, and I don't have a ton of time for me to try to completely unlock everything about the scripture. Um, but the seventh gift is authority. I believe that what we are seeing here is not necessarily that we have the power to forgive somebody's sins or not. But what we do is we have the authority to speak on, on God's behalf. Okay? So when I am preaching right now, you guys need to go and test me, okay? Go read the scriptures and come and tell me what I said wrong, okay? It's, you're allowed to do that, and elders do do that, okay? And so far, only once so far, but we'll see uh, <laughs> if there's any more, okay? But it does happen because it's important. It actually is part of uh, what we call being a Berean, which is somebody who studies and tests, Okay? So it's good. Actually, we're all Bereans. We're all supposed to be Bereans. If there's something questionable, you should be asking, okay? You should be wondering. But um, that doesn't mean that when I'm up here and I'm speaking in this way and I'm sharing the gospel, which I've said the need, I've said that Jesus has come, the assurance, I've said all these things, that when I do that, that there isn't an authority that comes from the Lord that I can speak this life into you. And then you guys have a choice to receive what I say or to not receive what I say. And I'm not saying this on my behalf, but I'm saying this on God's behalf. Jesus is, is, gave us this word. I try to understand it and translate it the best I can. I try to teach it. That is an authority that preachers do have. And not just preachers, but also when you're sharing the gospel with anybody on the street, with anybody. Um, it is not your authority to, to tell them that, they, that their life is falling apart, right? Because you are telling them from a person who their life, your life is falling apart. You don't have the ability. I don't, I don't know one believer here that's been a believer for 20 years and actually can say that we have it all together, right? We don't. We actually every day are wondering what we're getting wrong because something's not going right and we can't quite figure it out. Doesn't mean that we're questioning our salvation. It just means that we have the reality that we have a need. So when I go and when you go share the gospel with somebody, that's not because you are the judge, right? It's because you've been given authority by God to share such great news. That's the way I like to look at the scripture. Um, there's a lot there. Um, there's a really great quote um, that, that I believe this was a, a message that I listened to. 
Um, simply put, this scripture, uh, or this section right here, says that heaven affirms the response to our preaching about Jesus. Mm. It affirms. Those who respond favorably and trust Jesus will have their sins forgiven for all eternity. It's about the response. It's more about uh, the response than it is the person who's delivering. Okay, even though I said I have authority, that authority isn't because I he's given me a badge of honor and now I can tell you this. It's because I'm teaching something that is authoritative. That's good. And then you receive this authoritative teaching and you go, this is how I want to live my life. It's good. It's based off of this. So that's the seventh gift. So one more time, let's go through these gifts because I think this is great for how you guys are going to respond today. And then we'll go into a song. Um, the need. We realize the need. Jesus shows up in our life somehow, okay? Whether that's the gospel, uh, somebody shared the gospel with you or whether you were at a, you know, I know for me, I was at a youth retreat one time that that happened. But um, joy, God fills joy into your life. Peace. He gives you a peace beyond your understanding. Um, not just a human peace because uh, this life is not peaceful, by the way. Um, there are going to be people constantly trying to create the opposite of peace, war with you. Okay? Constantly. In some, in some form. Okay? Um, but the peace that we are given is a spiritual peace beyond our understanding. Then he gives you mission. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit. And really, ultimately, he gives you the strength to do the mission. That's what that means. And then he also gives you the authority, which I believe is the scripture. 